1: Good morning, everyone. You're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My name is Kate Copsey, and I am the host of the show. You can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com, or through America's web radio station site. This morning, we are going to be talking to Ellen Ogden, the author of several cooking and gardening books. Good morning, Ellen. Hello, Kate. Yes, and you're up uh, in Vermont, and you are a food writer as well as growing food. Uh, so what is your background maybe that got you started growing and gardening um, for your own food? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, I actually did not grow up with, a, with gardening parents, uh, but when I moved to Vermont, my husband and I took over his grandfather's one-acre plot Uh, where he grew just black-seeded Simpson lettuce for the local restaurants. And uh, we had both graduated from art school, and so we thought this might be a good occupation for us while we uh, practiced our art. So... Anyways, uh, we you know by and by we continued to to grow vegetables, but it really was not uh, as successful as we had hoped. And then we started a seed catalog called the Cook's Garden Seed Catalog, and and that's when we really started gardening full time.
1: Oh wow! And I know the Cook's gar- Garden. It's it's a great catalog. Um, so you really started then with the black seeded Simpson, which is a lovely. I love that, that lettuce. And, uh, you know, in fact, I, I've grown it so many times and I think it's quite heat tolerant as well. Uh, but, but I, I grew some of the red, red ones as well. Um, particularly for, for summer. Um, so your first garden wasn't the biggest success, but it managed to get you hooked on it or were you just determined to, um, shall, shall we say capture it?
0: Well, you know, back in the early 1980s, uh, local chefs, at least in our area, were not um, very tuned into either organic vegetables or um, local produce. So we really needed to to up the ante a little bit, so we began to import European salad greens, thinking that this might be the magnet for them to want our produce, and uh, we discovered this whole world of beautiful salad greens that were really European heirlooms, but had so much more flavor and, and texture and colors than just the, the typical black-seeded Simpson lettuce and some of the, the other, um, you know, more common lettuces that were being offered by the American seed catalogs.
1: And and certainly, I think it was in probably the the 80s when the uh, delightful iceberg sort of was one of the standards in the um, supermarkets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, that was just um, tasteless. It It was was colorless and tasteless. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so we actually found a European counterpart for that, which was called um, Ice Queen, Ronde Ron de Glace. It was a French heirloom, and it's that same butter crunch, wonderful um, succulent leaves uh, and crispy, but it had much more flavor and it had much more interesting texture to it. So that was one of the very early lettuces that we introduced in the catalog.
1: And I know the Italians particularly have, um, they have so so many early greens uh, and so many different varieties like the radicios and things like that and then the the Asians as well have um, a lot of um, different greens that we would typically call salad greens as well so it's more than just lettuce I think that goes into a salad these days oh
0: totally totally yes it, we actually at, at the at the height of our catalog, we had 175 different lettuce and salad greens.
1: Oh my we goodness! <laughs>
0: Mustards and everything, and that's actually how I turned out to be a food writer because um, I it was my job as since I wrote recipes for the catalog to taste everything and learn to describe the flavor of well, 50 different kinds of lettuces. So if you've ever had to sit in a field of lettuce and, and come up with different ways to describe sweet or, or spicy or <laughs> whatever <laughs> the lettuce was, that um, turned me into a food writer pretty quickly. <laughs> oh, I
1: bet. I think think I, I had to do, do some work on, um, I think it was tomatoes, and there were 30 different tomatoes, and they were basically red tomatoes, but variations on a theme. And boy, trying to be enthusiastic by the time you got down to number 25 and making it different was uh, was definitely a challenge um but i guess over kind of the last hundred years or so the design element um that has been seen in in growing veg uh, there really wasn't very much up until maybe very recently i don't think because all the vegetables were kind of grown either behind a wall if you were in a very big house or, or they were put in kind of behind the hedge it was kind of the back of the garden kind of the shall we say the equivalent of the um the work area um (laughs) and and people didn't take it too seriously um up and well certainly a design element until quite recently so when do you think that changed from it's basically a space to grow vegetables versus something to be delighted in
0: oh kate that's such a good question well, um, that's why I wrote my book, actually, The Complete Kitchen Garden, because I had been visiting some beautiful, beautiful gardens, uh, but which were mostly all flowers, and then there'd be a tiny vegetable garden behind the hedges or something, and, and when I give my garden lectures, people say, I have so much trouble with deer and groundhogs, and I say, well, where's your garden? And they say, oh, it's you know, it's at the end of the yard. I say, well, bring it closer to the house. <laughs> you know, make it something that's integral to your landscape, that you walk by every day, that you can look out from your your kitchen window and you'll totally change the dynamic of of your relationship with your garden and the design of your garden
1: and and i think you know when you've got it close to the house you use it more um rather than um i think think those big old houses they were almost ashamed of the garden. I mean, they relied on them. There is one one house in England that was very local to us, kind of a manor house, and there was the uh, the garden or the the vegetable garden was behind a wall on one side, and there was a little hillock between the the, the vegetable garden and the house, and the little dirty, grubby. Um, Vegetable or garden boy would scramble out there with the um, basket of today's goods and the lowest of the scullery maids would come up from the other other side, take the goods into the kitchen so that the people of the house didn't see grubby little boys. (laughs) <laughs> and that, that total disconnect from where your food comes from. <laughs> That's a good story.
0: <laughs> I know. I know. It's a it's a, we're living in a wonderful time right now when when people love vegetable gardening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and I think that has cert- certainly changed, but I I think there, there was certainly a disconnect um I I guess over the last 20 years, it's become more, more, shall we say, fashionable to be able to at least be able to talk about different lettuces and and be able to be familiar with where things go. But there's still an awful lot of children that grow up, not knowing that carrots actually do grow under the ground.
0: (laughs) That's true. It's true. But luckily, that's all changing.
1: Yeah. Um so you know I mean so I guess suburban gardeners particularly and, and some urban ones they don't have an awful lot of space to garden and it seems seems like people are kind of trying to battle between they want to grow their own food but they've also got to have the sun pit and the the, the gym set for the kids and a piece of grass to sit on and the barbecue how do they fit everything in? <laughs> well,
0: um I, what I like to tell people is to not try and grow everything because we have wonderful markets. We have wonderful local farmers markets and, and farm stands and really growing a kitchen garden to me means just picking 12 of your favorite things to grow and finding a space to grow them, whether it's in a container or in a very small decorative plot that could be a raised bed or a more formal, smallish garden but, you know, not expect to grow corn and zucchini and, and other things. So I think it's really important to really think about what you really love to eat that you can't be getting at the markets and what really tastes the best freshest. And to me, that always comes back to lettuce and mesclun and salad greens because they're so delicate that they, you know, if you, they just barely make the trip from the garden into the salad bowl without starting to wilt. So it's really nice <laughs> to have it fresh and, and lively
1: yeah and you know and i think you can make such a, a great salad with all the different colors and the oak leaf uh, lettuces and the rosso which is a really dark red one and they they they're so colorful you don't even really and and they'd have so many more nutrients in them i mean we're always told that the more colors you've got the more micronutrients you're getting
0: yes you're so right kate I bet you have a beautiful garden. I'd love to see it sometime.
1: <laughs> uh, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know your lettuces, and that's good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, well, I, I always start out very enthusiastic, and all the little seedlings go out, and then somehow things get, get busy and, and catch up, and there's never quite enough room. Like my, I put the, my beans out when my peas were still going, and we had such a long spring here that the peas actually were kept kept going and going and going and the beans were growing up on in, the inside and by the beginning of july i had my last harvest of peas plus my first harvest of beans, both together. And there aren't many years when you can do that. <laughs> wow.
0: <laughs> it is. It was an early season for sure.
1: Yes. Um, and I can, kind of put the, the beans in just that little bit earlier. But I'm basically using raised beds, and it's kind of the first year for them. But they have been so productive in this um, I guess the the compost that I used came from horse a horse farm, so it's kind of a really nice mix in there. Um, and there's no groundhogs. Um, there's rabbits, I think, and we we have the the odd um, turkey come in and land on things. Well, that can make make a dent in a lettuce patch. But uh, but yes, it's I mean it is it's fun to have all those different ones and figure out which ones actually work. Don't bolt the minute you get ninety degrees is an important aspect. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so so I guess when you're designing things, we're talking more than just a raised bed um, with a mix of different colored lettuces, aren't we? We're talking a whole garden design for a kitchen garden, or is it kind of one aspect that you incorporate into the rest of the garden?
0: Um, Well, it really is very individual. I think everybody has their own style. It's I like to say it's quite remarkable the way all of us can start with the same three things: seeds, plants, and soil, and we all get something a little different. It's like making chocolate chip cookies or something. You know, it's like it really depends on the cook. And so, uh, if all you have room for is a raised bed, that's great. But what I really like is to be able to integrate uh, the raised bed into a design element of the house. So it's it's not just something that's stuck out in the middle of the front yard. So it really you know, can can be useful and decorative. So it doesn't give growing food a bad name. It actually, give, you know, enhances the idea that that food is really quite beautiful and can be um, grown in a landscape well.
1: Yeah, and I, I think, you know, when, when landscapes in gen- general, particularly suburban ones when they're so small, um, they have to be aesthetic as well as everything else Um, particularly I I mean there is a trend that sometimes they are in the front garden as well um, because sometimes that's where the sun is Um, but you know we have to go for our first commercial break here but we will be back talking more with Ellen Ogden about kitchen garden designs and when we come back we're going to talk about some designs that would work in your garden. America's Homegrown Veggies will be back in just a moment.
2: Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like.
3: Do your children know where their food comes from? At connectingfarmtofork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities Food facts and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link.
4: Quick steaks, that's
5: Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office.
1: Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at America's Homegrown Veggies. And if you miss any shows, you can find them on americaswebradio.com webpage. And you can find them on iTunes and on Stitchers. This morning, we are talking design of the kitchen garden with author and cook and gardener, Ellen Ogden. And Ellen, um, let's start with... I guess when, when you learn about design there are two basic sorts, as formal or informal. Um, can kitchen gardens be both of those or either of those? Oh of course, that's such a good question.
0: Um, gardens are, you know, such a, a, a reflection of one's personality. And I happen to like very geometric designs. I like to do most of my, my designs based on the classic four-square garden. And I use a lot of organic rotation based on that four-square design. But I've seen so many beautiful gardens that were just rambling and, and round and curvy and, and uh, you know, with lots of flowers interspersed and, and volunteer plants. And they, they're so beautiful as well so i think the most important thing is to truly enjoy and embrace your garden and and because it's really giving back to you all the time and the more you can give to your garden the more it's going to give back to you
1: and are we talking a, a mix of perennials in the garden as well as an annual element or do you start with the perennials and design that bit first and fill in like, like you would perhaps with a flower garden where the shrubs are the, um, shall we say, the, the furniture and the walls and the annuals are kind of the pretty bits along the side?
0: Well, you know, that's such a good question, Kate, because I do think that as a flower gardener, we think in terms of perennials. But the vegetable garden, one of the beauties is is that it's really you're starting with a blank canvas, every year you can have your perennial asparagus and your perennial rhubarb and and the things that will come up every year but i always keep those off in a a separate bed or in a in the edge of the bed because every year i like to redesign my vegetable garden in a new way because it keeps it fresh it keeps the soil healthy and it's it really provides more opportunity to try new things every year
1: And are we talking basically um, the formal gardens are squares, whereas the informal ones are circles? Or can you have um, wheel spoke type things as well as squares?
0: Um, You can have anything you want. I think it really helps to start with the design on paper first. And in my book, The Complete Kitchen Garden, I have 15 different theme garden designs because I really – I think it's fun to to think about what you most like to grow and then create a design first and then try and implement that in the garden it's kind of with my art background it's it's really designing it on paper and then transferring that onto your canvas, which is the garden and um, really you know playing around with the different colors before you actually plant things so you don't get into trouble by either planting things too closely or putting something tall too close to something that 's too low and you know it really helps to start with a garden design plan in the first place
1: and do you find that nature kind of sometimes changes your plans along the way um, because I, I've done a lot of designs I guess um, basic designs of, of what's going where but it uh-huh. always seems like there's a few too many plants or I forget that I've already ordered um, onion sets from one place and I see them at the big box store and I'm thinking I haven't got onion sets so I'm going to put those in and you end up with too much stuff so you're kind of pushing them in um, among the blueberries and things like that.
0: <laughs> you're so honest, and I can tell you're a real gardener because that happens to to all of us, but not all of us admit it. Um, yes, indeed, I always start with a plan that helps guide me, but then when I get out there, I I'm. I, probably 90 percent of the time i change it but at least it helps me keep things it's like said having a grocery list at least i can get the things on my list and make sure they're in the garden and then the rest is just for fun
1: yes and uh, so and things like um the hedge element which is part of maybe um, a more formal garden that gives it kind of um a structure what type of thing would edibles would be good for that edging or hedging type plant
0: oh wow Um, Well, it certainly depends where you live. Here in Vermont, we have, you know, a a zone three, four restrictions, so we can't grow everything we'd like, and and even we had a lot of dieback last year. I have this beautiful tree in the center of my garden, a a verbena, and it's 80% it's eighty percent of it is dead because of all the cold weather we have, so I have to replace it. so whatever hedge you put in you're going to have to make sure it's it's going to grow well and that you can replace it if you need to. Um, but in terms of edible hedges, there's so many things i've I love the way asparagus ferns look, for instance, once they've grown up and and they form a uh, a lovely hedge and then they die back in the in the spring i mean in the in the fall. And um, I have a great peony hedge that I really like too, because it stays green and, and glossy all summer long, and then I still get those lovely, um, voluptuous blossoms in the early spring. Um, so there's just a, you know there's a, just play around and see you know really check to see what's hardy in your area and what you can use that will work
1: um and I, I know that um you know a lot, lot of the the southern people m- would probably be able to use things like rosemary and things like that would they work as a hedge oh
0: how lovely um, yes i'm sure, and California grows grows their their rosemary plants are are everywhere, yes, something like that would work if if it 's not too common. I think it 's nice to have a hedge that you can clip and keep neat and tidy um it's nice to have something that 's fragrant it 's nice to have something that 's deer proof as well. I think having any kind of border around the garden is really important because it really frames in the garden like a beautiful picture frame around a painting. it really provides the the bones and the
1: structure for a garden. And I think uh, the the, uh, the romantic side of people maybe want a little picket fence to go around uh, maybe a, a garden. Uh, sometimes that's not sufficient to keep out rodents. Even a rabbit, I think, can usually get through that, which means that you have to have maybe other sorts of protection, which kind of detracts from... Um, the the pretty design. Uh, But what about maybe um, color and contrast in foliage and things like that? Is that part of that design that you put on paper as well so that you've got the aesthetic um, contrast in there?
0: Well, you know, when you're growing a vegetable garden or a kitchen garden, the most important thing that most people think about is productivity. You want to make sure that you get a lot out of that garden not so much that it's going to look pretty although i i totally think that's important but you also want to make sure it's productive and that it's easy to maintain because so often vegetable gardens are are places where weeds will will take over and we really have to maintain the vegetable garden in a in a different way than the flower gardens because flower gardens you can mulch them and 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 kind of keep the weeds from coming in so there's a lot of elements to think about but definitely um, thinking about the structure, the paths is another thing is what kind of path are you going to have in your vegetable garden because so often in that traditional long rectangular design that we think of in terms of the victory gardens you you're using up a lot of garden space just for path when you when you grow things in long straight rows. so consolidating the paths into the center of the garden and then having more space to grow, your food is is really a, a is a, a design trick that will help in the long run.
1: And you know, and I think paths particularly, um, you, know, you you have to be able to get a wheelbarrow and things like that down down them, or otherwise you'll be going to be using a bucket to to refill them every year. Um, but um, but what about maybe um, uh, the edible potager, which is a very traditional formal a probably french um design do you include that in your book what exactly are they and how do they differ from a typical um kitchen garden design
0: well i think i think of the potager it's the same as a kitchen garden um but it differs from a regular vegetable garden in that i think that they're smaller and they contain really the the things that you want to use on a daily basis so for instance fresh herbs basil uh, um, chives the, the you know the fine herbs of the french cooking the french cuisine and then salad greens and then of course your peas and your beans the things that are so wonderful just to get the the pot boiling on the stove and then run out and pick them and and plunge them into the water quickly and um it's a it's a smaller form of a vegetable garden i think of you know in my in, when we had the cook's garden catalog we had 3 acres of vegetable gardens and those were vegetable gardens they were not kitchen gardens but we did have one small area that was my kitchen garden where i could grow just these lovely little things that i would use in my cooking that we didn't have to grow on a production scale and it it brought me such happiness i actually bought it was the first time that i realized how important it is to put a bench in the garden because i would go out and i would just sit in that garden and just enjoy that space and and really admire the plants as they were growing all around me
1: Oh, I, I think that's a great idea to put a bench in there. I've, I've got a tree stump actually that's right in the middle. Say, <laughs> um, so this is a new garden, so we, we had to reclaim it from nature a little bit. And a couple of couple of trees were so battered from vines that they had to be taken down. Um, and one of them is right next, right inside the uh, the vegetable garden. Um, but what what about um, pollinators and things like that? Do the vegetables themselves typically produce enough flowers to get pollinators? Or Should we uh, maybe let some of the lettuce and radishes go to seed um, in the early part of the season to get pollinators in or or maybe even put um, non-edibles in there for pollination?
0: Oh, all of the above. All of the above, <laughs> and pollinators are essential—absolutely essential. And um, one of the designs in my book is called the organic rotation garden, and it has the classic four squares where each crop is rotated each year. And then it has—it's bordered by flowers that are primarily a, a pollinator attractors, so they will come into the garden. And you can also use them, of course, as a cutting cutting garden as well. So integrating flowers into the vegetable garden is is absolutely uh, essential.
1: But one of the ones I noticed this morning, I thought I'd missed um, a squash, a yellow squash, because I've got uh, one of those zucchinis out there, and there was this bright yellow. And I could see it from the kitchen window, and I went over, and it was this squash Flower, the male flower of the squash, and it had to be four inches, five inches across, absolutely buttercup yellow, bang smack on the side of the garden. It was just, I mean, it drew me out from the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, how lovely! How
1: lovely! Yes, and you know, you, you, usually you get so many leaves on a squash plant that yeah. um, you, it kind of hides the, the the flowers. But this one was right in your face. I mean, I, I mean, it, it was yelling to the world. <laughs> <laughs> which, which on a day like this, which is cloudy and uh, sort of steamy and hot, is was really yeah. kind of needed. <laughs> um,
0: nice. Yeah. Well, there, there is one thing that I also like to um, to encourage gardeners to to um it's called my 8020 rule and that is that i think people should try something new so try 80% when you're, plant, when you're thinking about the garden and you're planning your garden to grow 80% what you love and is tried and true, and then try 20% something completely new and different. And because really gardening, one of the beauties of vegetable gardening is you get to try something new every year and you never know what you're going to find, like that beautiful squash you found in your garden or, or artichoke flowers and, or, you know, Malabar spinach or something really different that you didn't think you could grow. And and fava beans for instance I never thought I could grow fava beans but they're a magnificently beautiful plant and I want to put them in my perennial borders they're so pretty (laughs)
1: Yeah, and I think the the malabar spinach that's that's a beautiful vine um, and and could be grown just for itself Um, but you know we need to take another quick commercial break here but I want to remind everyone that you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show and we'll be back with more with Ellen Ogden and when we come back we're going to talk more about the plants that go in the edible kitchen garden We will be right back.
2: Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.
5: Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show at Home with Paisley. Every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office.
6: Are you tired of taking medication to control your allergy symptoms? Do you suffer from uncontrollable asthma or eczema? Sublingual immunotherapy is a safe and effective alternative. Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center is committed to bringing the newest medical advances to their patients. With sublingual immunotherapy, you can now train your immune system to stop responding to environmental and food allergies. No more shots? No more trips to the doctor, and freedom from taking daily allergy medication. The drops are simply placed under the tongue three times a day. Both children and adults can be treated. It is safe and cost-effective. Call Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center today at 404-591-9100 for more information or to make an appointment. Their office is located in Atlanta at 1776 Peachtree Road Northwest, in Suite 260 North Tower, two blocks south of Piedmont Hospital. They are open Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. until 4 p.m., Additional details are available at www.peachtreeentcenter.com. Mention that you heard about sublingual immunotherapy on Radio Sandy Springs and get free allergy testing. Quick stakes.
4: that's Q-U-I-K stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q U I K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now.
1: Are back listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey. And this morning we are talking with Ellen Ogden, the author of Kitchen Garden Designs. And we've come and covered some of the um, kitchen garden designs, Ellen. And uh, But we finished with your 80-20 rule, uh, where, where we do 80% of what we have done before and 20% of what we haven't done before. Th- that is, um, that's a great, great idea to to encourage people to get new things in the garden um for instance this year I'm, i th- i would think um some of the new things that i i'm trying actually are some of those beans that you can actually harvest like the kidney beans and uh, uh i think there's a red one and a white one i'm trying um so that that would come under my 20 percent but the th- thing would be when um when you're a new gardener there is so much out there how do you pick um where do you start with what you ought to be Growing. Um, what, what should be your f- first decision, so that you can feel successful and and grow on that? Like for it, for you, it was the uh, the Black seeded Simpson.
0: <laughs> well, the, um, it's it's um, it's funny how. It's such a good correction, Kate, because, you know, it's funny when we think of gardens, we think of carrots, for instance. And carrots are probably one of the hardest things to grow. They're slow to germinate. They need, you know, the seeds are tiny and they grow really, uh, you know, they. It, it's just you need good soil. Um, so I would avoid the hard things and start with the easy things. And, again, it goes back to lettuce and salad greens. There's, you can grow a packet of mescaloon greens and you'll have a salad in 30 days. It's so exciting. It's um Really finding the things that grow quickly. And I must say, as my garden gets um, smaller, I'm more likely to start with plants that I can find. If I, I have a great nursery nearby and I'll, find, um, I'll buy my tomato plants and my cucumber plants rather than starting them from seeds like I used to because I only have one chance and I want to make sure I get a crop. <laughs> um, so finding a very reliable source for both seeds and plants is, is really crucial. Um, so in terms of trying something new, I think you know it does take a little of experience as what grows easily from seed and what grows well as a transplant, um, and that's really the first place to start is, is, is do your research and, and really be willing to, to make some mistakes in the beginning um, and keep a garden journal. That's absolutely crucial because it's so hard to remember from year to year what we did wrong or what we did right.
1: Yes, I, I, that that actually is a great great I- idea, and it's so easy to do now with uh, with blogs and, and digital cameras and things like that. That you can take take a picture of the garden in production and, and or when you start it, so you can compare it with your notes to see actually what did happen. Um, but uh, but what would be maybe um, if somebody was an avid cook, uh, maybe sta- standard um, American cookery? What would be maybe some of the plants that that would be basic for a cook's garden that uh, would. Come and maybe um, most of the, the things that cooks today would, would want?
0: Right. Well, I always start with basil. There's, everybody loves sweet basil. And it's easy to grow from seed. It's easy to find plants. And basil is one of those things where there's, about 85 different kinds of culinary basil Yet most of us really just fall back on the sweet Genovese or the, the sweet basil when we could be growing lemon basil or lime basil or cinnamon basil. <laughs> you know, there's, there's opal basil, that wonderful dark red reuben basil. Um, there's lots of different kinds of basil to try. So even if that just falls into that 20% new and different, that's a good place to start Um All herbs, I think, are so important in cooking. Fresh herbs, there's nothing better than having um, a wonderful little herb garden. So I grow a lot of the class. I have about six or eight fresh herbs that I always have in my garden. The tarragon, the sage, the the dill, the rosemary, um, the basil, of course, and the chives, and uh, some sweet marjoram. Those are really my standbys.
1: Yeah, and I, I put a regular oregano in there as well because marjoram is an annual, of course. Yes, so, yes. yes
0: definitely, yeah. yes, yes. And um, so, starting with herbs, and and then, um, well, of course, everybody loves tomatoes. We've been having problems in in Vermont, and maybe you have in New Jersey as well with a tomato blight. So the tomato plants go look really nice, and then suddenly they start browning up, and and. I've almost stopped growing tomatoes because of it. And, you know, they, they, tomatoes are really jungle plants. They're actually, a, you know, they, they're wild and crazy plants, and they take up so much room in the garden. So if you don't have a lot of room to begin with, give up growing tomatoes if you can possibly <laughs> do. It because Make room for, for the smaller, more delicate crops that will give you more uh, productivity for the space.
1: Yeah, and you know, and, and I think tomatoes, particularly. Uh, I think everybody, ought, or maybe you know, some of some of the newer varieties um, that are resistant to uh, the wilt, or, or some of the um, grafted varieties are supposed to be helping that that problem. And particularly for for folk, folks who who want to grow some of the heirlooms that that have a problem with some of those blights and things. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, yeah. So really, do your do your homework in terms of the varieties you're picking up. Um... I grow a lot of rainbow chard and kale. Uh, I'm not terribly fond of the big green crinkly kale, but I love that blue lansciano kale, that Tuscan blue kale. It's it's a beautiful plant, and it's it's nice in a salad or sautéed with garlic. It's a, it's a lovely, lovely plant in the garden
1: yeah and I, actually, I am still getting kale i keep keep harvesting two thirds of each plant, and then about three four weeks later, the things put out more and even at ninety degrees, that is still going um, which, which I think is amazing um, yeah. and that that 's one of the Russian kales. I think it was one of the blue crinkly ones because they they, they look great in the garden yeah. um, but what, what about maybe children in the garden um do, do we go for things that kids like to look at or do we go for things that kids like to eat or can you get a combination of things that um, they, they would like to eat as well as look at?
0: Oh, nice, nice. Well, of course, kids in the garden is really, really important. This next generation teaching them about the joys of gardening is so important. With my own children, I often focused on... Aromatic plants, I have a lemon gem marigold, for instance, which has lovely lemony foliage, and I put it in the in the um, path areas so that when they brush against it, they smell lemon. I think they 're so sensitive to smells that it's it 's nice to to have things that smell so good. you know think of that instinct we all have to go up to a flower and smell it and and the vegetable garden is really no different so things like again, going back to the basils, they love the basils they love textures. They love to touch things. Um, uh, Pulling things out of the ground is always fun, but it always amuses me when when people, some people suggest putting um, radishes in kids' gardens because they grow fast. Well, have you ever met a kid who really likes to eat a radish?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I can totally debunk the idea if they grow it, they'll eat it. Uh, no. <laughs> but yet they
0: love to pull them out. And potatoes are the same way. They love to dig potatoes. They're like little Easter eggs under the ground. They're so much fun.
1: Yeah. And, and what about in a container? Would, would Particularly with the, maybe the preschoolers, would it be appropriate just to put some maybe lettuce and flowers in a little container?
0: Yes, definitely. Of course, Uh, you know, anything that they can grow and and help nurture is is helping the cause and introducing to them to the, the magical world of plants. Really, it's it's such a miracle that we can put a seed in the ground and then it will feed us. It's just wonderful to to be able to share that with with young ones
1: yeah um and, and what about then maybe, maybe um to get kind of a colorful effect in a gar- garden uh maybe a uh, i believe one of your gardens is a paint box garden or a color garden um how, how do we go about getting that type of of thing
0: yes there is a paint box garden in my design and it's actually the the only garden design that i have that's that's raised beds and um I have the beds bordered on the edges with a. I, I use the different height system in that in a raised bed garden to achieve that. So around the edges, I have something very low-growing like that um, pistou basil, the very small mini basil that that, does, that mounds up, and then I'll have a medium height plant, and then in the center something very tall. So it, you're really using the, the the three different heights that that vegetables will grow in a in a contained space to to the benefit of the aesthetics of the garden
1: and so, so do, you, do you are you using just edibles in that garden or are you using some non non-edibles to give the effect as well
0: well there's so many wonderful edible flowers there's the nasturtium family that's that's huge. I think it's very underutilized um, and lots of beautiful edible plants that can be used in the garden. And again, going back to children, the children love flowers. They love to pick flowers, so make sure you plant more than you need in, in any, any kind of vegetable garden.
1: And, and can, can you maybe um, incorporate containers not just for kids, but can you incorporate those into a design maybe on corners or something like that?
0: Um, in containers? Oh, definitely. Ma- mixing and matching containers is, is a lovely idea. Um, lots of paths. I-, I basically have a five-steps-to-success kind of um, process that I'd like to tell people about which in one is always having a bench in the garden one is having a very distinct path system in the garden and the path system is a great way to have a lovely entrance into the garden which is number three and the entrance can be um, marked by wonderful dramatic containers and, and there's so much you can do or an arbor or some way of growing things vertically because We often think of gardens as being kind of flat and horizontal, but there's so many wonderful vegetables that grow vertically and love to add the drama and the height in a a vegetable garden.
1: Oh yes, and I, yeah, and I, I think the pole beans um, and things like that are definitely they're, they're definitely things that go up, um, and you can get those. I mean, I particularly like um, the red flowered ones um, in in the beans, uh, but the, the scarlet ones. I mean, those are so so pretty um, in in the garden.
0: Right, and I, I have a purple one, an Italian purple bean that I love called Triomphe di Violetto. And it has dark purple stems and dark purple flowers with deep green leaves, and it's so pretty in an arbor.
1: Oh wow! And I think one of the beans I'm, I'm growing is an Asian winged bean, so that should be fun. I'm not quite sure what to expect from that. That's on my twenty <laughs> percent. <20%. laughs>
0: that's one of your new ones.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and all, all I know is it's a it's a, a pole type bean and is going to need support because it gets to about seven foot, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, so that that's going to be fun. I mean, we're having a great summer so far, uh, and everything seems to be growing well, even if it's a bit chaotic. Out there, but but that's kind of one of my uh, that's one of one of my new ones, and I I think pole beans. I mean, you can run them on a fence or anything. It doesn't have to be a formal little teepee thing or or um, something in the garden. Stick them by the fence, right? <laughs> right. And
0: yeah. this is also a good time of year to remind your listeners that it's that gardens are started in the spring, but they're really something if you keep planting them in successive plantings of lettuce and mesclun greens and and beans and peas in midsummer then you're going to have a nice late fall crop as well
1: oh yes um i guess i haven't even thought about fall (laughs) yet and i think people do forget that um but you know we we need to take our final commercial break here but come back everyone and listen to more about ellen ogden and the kitchen garden design book we will be right back
2: did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.
3: Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuffs Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to
5: fork. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office.
4: Quick stakes. That's. Q-U-I-K stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q U I K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now.
6: Solution Providers Are you aware of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism's multiple marketing platforms? You're invited to get a little closer to IHC with our Solution Provider Membership Marketing Program. Through IHC's exclusive Solution Provider Membership, your business gets an all access pass to engaging your prospects. This membership embeds your business within the Institute, which immediately aligns your company, its solutions, and your key executives with the nationally credible IHC brand, and shows your support of the healthcare consumerism movement as a market wide solution. And that's just the beginning. Contact IHC's Managing Director Brent Macy today at bmacy at ihcc.com.
1: I hope you're enjoying America's homegrown veggie show this morning. We have been talking about kitchen gardens with author and cook Ellen Ogden. And Ellen, we, you've got—I don't know how many designs in your in your book, um, *The Complete Kitchen Garden*. Um, and you, but you've got about—is it twenty different designs in there of different sorts? I have fifteen.
0: <laughs> there are fifteen designs. Um, that are uh, all have recipes because I'm a cook and a gardener. So the Salad Lover's Garden, which is the first one, has a, a beautiful little design that you could put in where you're growing just 12 or 15 different kinds of salad greens. And then I give you six or eight different recipes from my repertoire of salads that I've been making for the last 35 years as a cook. And then I have, uh, 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 for instance, the patio garden, and I could, I have ideas for what to plant in in a small space in containers. And then I give you recipes to um, to cook from those those things that you've grown.
1: And this is more more with the lettuce than just putting them into a pretty little salad bowl with a nice mixed dressing, right? <laughs> yes, yes,
0: yes. <laughs> yes, I have um one of my favorite standbys is a quinoa and lentil and arugula salad with cherry tomatoes. I make that a lot. I have a wonderful um, maple balsamic vinegar that I put on uh, fresh greens. And there's lots, I, I've been doing salads and salad greens for so many years now. I have so many good ones. It was hard to pick just a, the hundred or so
1: that I have in the book. I, I should have got that before I was inundated with lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did lettuce wraps one night and it, they all kind of collapsed into a little puddle. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were not impressed with, the family were not impressed with that. But, but, so anyway, we, um, you, you've obviously got all, all these designs. Is there one that you particularly like to do in your own garden?
0: Well, my own garden is featured in this one. It's called the Cook's Garden, based on, you know, the way I I, like, I think of myself as a cook and a gardener. And it actually surprises me that there are not more garden design books that have recipes, since really growing food is all about cooking. Um, so the the book that the the Cook's Garden in this. Um, In my book, The Complete Kitchen Garden, has some of my favorite plants in it, such as alpine strawberries and mixed herbs and peas and tomatoes. And and then I have some wonderful recipes for gazpacho and rainbow tomatoes with lemon basil dressing. And and just really to get people going, ginger peach chutney is one of my favorite recipes that I make every summer. About the 1st of August when peaches start coming on, so um, it's just a great time of year to be thinking about cooking from the garden. So once you're done with the designs in the book, then you can start using the recipes.
1: And I, I think that's a great idea that you that you couple the, the two together. And and the complete kitchen garden that's available online and in bookstores nationwide. Is that right? Yes. Yes. It was um, it was published by Stuart Taborian
0: and Chang, and it's in bookstores. I also have a website where I sell the book and would send autographed copies to anybody who's interested. And, um, yes, it's, it's, it's got a green cover, so um, I hope, I hope your, reader, your listeners can
1: find it. Um, and, and what is your web page, um, and is it available through that?
0: Yes, my web page is EllenOgden.com, www.EllenOgden.com. And you, when you open up the page, you'll come right to seeing the book and seeing some of my recipes and some of my designs. And, and I also lecture on, and on garden, kitchen garden designs, and so you can see where I will be um, lecturing in different areas.
1: And and so so all your talks are, are on the the web page too, is that right? Yes, that's right. And, and if somebody wanted maybe to ask you to talk to their event, is there a way that they can contact you to maybe ask you and figure out how, how, how much you charge depending on where they are?
0: Yes, yes, yes. I, that's all on the website as well. I, I've spoken to um, a number of garden clubs in New Jersey, actually, quite a bit, and I, have a, I think I have two lined up for next spring as well.
1: Oh, great. I shall have to. Uh, I'll have to make a note of that and keep an eye on your web page. <laughs> uh, and, and you this is not um, the only book you've got. Uh, being a cook, I guess, uh, and being in Vermont, you've got the Vermont cheese book. Um, how is that different? Does that have recipes as well?
0: <laughs> oh, you've really done your research. Um the the Vermont Cheese Book is a book that I wrote in 2007 actually, 2008, where um my neighbor was making he was a, a dairy farmer and suddenly converted to making cheese and uh they really changed the whole Profile of the farm, and I learned that there were 42 cheesemakers in Vermont. So I decided I wanted to visit every cheesemaker in Vermont and taste the cheese and write about their farm. So I wrote the Vermont Cheese Book, which Really, there's no recipes in it, but it profiles all the cheese makers and has little maps. So if you're traveling through Vermont, you can stop at various cheese farms and taste cheese and buy cheese. Because I thought it was a, you know, it's really connected to agriculture. It may seem like it's just a gourmet treat, but but cheese is totally connected to agriculture and keeping our farms and our landscapes green.
1: Yes, and uh, you know, and I I think we, we, that that particular one struck me as being a little a little dif- different. Um, but uh, you know, uh, um, may- maybe if uh, if people wanted to, to, do you have a, a somewhere where they can may- maybe uh, go go to see all these different books together? Do you have that on your web page? I believe I do.
0: I will certain Yes, I do have a a, a, a web page that has my complete kitchen from the cook- Cook's Garden, which is the very first one that I wrote, and I also have one called the Basil Bulletin and the Vermont Cheese Book, and then my most recent, the Complete Kitchen Garden. And I'm, I'm working on a new cookbook now that will be out next September.
1: And what, what is that going to be on?
0: Well, I'm, I'm not going to talk about it just yet. But oh, okay. I'm going to tell you with some
1: wonderful recipes. <laughs> okay, okay. So we look for that come at the, at the end, end of the year. Um, and what, what about, uh, and, and most of your, your talks then are, are on kitchen garden designs of different sorts. Would that be right? Well, the talk I give mostly is called
0: The Art of Growing Food because it really takes my background as an artist um, and combines it with growing food, which I consider to be just as beautiful as flowers. And I like to give people ideas of how to turn their vegetable gardens into something extraordinary. And so I have wonderful pictures from my book of gardens that I visited, of really lovely kitchen garden designs that are really meant to inspire anybody who wants to grow food.
1: Oh, wow. That that sounds sounds like a fun, fun talk to to do. And do you, have, do you develop new talks as you go along um, geared to the audiences or, or do you have standard talks that people can pick from um, and listed on your site?
0: Yes, I have three talks that I give right now. One is The Art of Growing Food. The other one I give is called Herbs, Greens, and Aromatics, which is all about how to grow the best salad garden that you could possibly can. And the third one is called the four-square garden design, which really gives a little bit of history about the kitchen garden and then really talks about how a four-square garden design can improve your garden by teaching you about soil and uh, crop rotation and then what to grow in each of those four sections.
1: Oh, wow. And, and I think think the four-square is such a, an old um, design for, for gardens. It's really a classic one that goes back, way back, back um, I think, think, beyond the Egyptians, I think, if I remember rightly. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, those those are fun, fun gardens. Um, and what about social media? Um, are you on Facebooks and things like that with the books, or are the books on social media uh, and Facebook?
0: Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> I, I send out a newsletter once a month, and so anybody who goes to my site can sign up for my e-newsletter, and usually it just has links to recipes that I'm posting. I don't do, do um, you know, a lot of... A lot of um, sort of chitter-chatter. I'd like to really stay fairly um, concise in my newsletter. I also have a web page, Facebook page, the Complete Kitchen Garden, facebook.com. I don't don't know really what the address is for that. And um, I do Instagram as well and Pinterest, yes
1: and are those links from can you get links to that from your web page or do yes, we just that's right thank you kate yes you can get
0: all of that right from the home page of my website
1: oh good because yeah so so, so if we the best way is to go onto your your web page ellenogden.com and press the f on there to get get you to the facebook page is that right
0: that's that's right thank you yeah yeah
1: okay well we've got maybe about a minute or two um left ellen um this is this is, what would you maybe suggest um in the last minute to be the first step to getting a, a design that you really that you want in your gar- garden you, you know you 're looking out of your your kitchen window you say, "Gosh, I want a kitchen garden design out there what what where, where, where do they what would be the, those first couple of steps?
0: Um, Well, I get most of my best ideas from other gardeners, I must (laughs) admit. I love to visit other gardens, and I do a lot of the Garden Conservancy Open Days Tours and visit other gardens. Do you know about the the Garden Conservancy?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah.
0: And uh, they have a wonderful range of gardens, and I usually travel to Connecticut and New York and New Jersey and Massachusetts to see other gardens because there's just no better way to really get to know what you like in your style and to get to know new plants. And I always bring a notebook of ideas and start sketching and just drawing up ideas. And that's really, and and of course, books and magazines are good too, but really just get out and start looking and and formulating your own ideas about what you like and put them on paper before you start digging. And I think you're going to come up with some great ideas.
1: And I, I think the cell phone is great for taking pictures and, and notes of, of gardens when you go visit them too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you can see plants being used in different ways. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And and of course, hot, steamy summer days when it's too hot to go outside are just as good as cold, snowy days for maybe getting a design on paper. Is it, is it too late in the year to be maybe thinking about a design? Um, no, not at all. It's. Um...
0: It's, it's a really perfect time of year because you're looking at your garden now and you're seeing some things that may be planted too closely or things that you'd like to change. Um, but the fall is really the best time to, to make changes and to put in a new garden that um, you'll have ready for the spring. So be thinking now for something that you might like to put in in the fall, and then it'll be all ready to go by next year.
1: Oh, I think that's a great idea because I'm going to say the, the hot steamy, steamy days of, of summer are when you can go out and look at gardens and take pictures and then look at them. And then you can scri- scribble down on the back of an envelope um, mm-hmm. and be, re- be ready all, all, the, all the way for, for, um, for the September when you can mm-hmm. restart it. But you know, um, we're right at the end of the, the show here. Um, but I want to thank you, Ellen. It's been a great show. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Uh, oh, I've- Thank you. I've enjoyed talking to you very oh, much, Kate. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Um, okay, everyone, thank you for listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show this morning. Uh, thank, thank you, Ellen. You've been a great guest this morning. Um, everyone, we'll be back next week with another show talking all about growing veggies. Have a good gardening week, everyone, and join me back here next Saturday. This
0: is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.